0: Thank you, Pastor Ernest, for your introduction. Uh, And thank you and your wonderful wife, Erin, for your friendship through the years. And thank you, uh, Higher Definition Church, for having me this morning. Well, I have a word for you, so I hope you are prepared for it. But before we jump into it, I would love to start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together, Lord, as we are your church the called out ones, Lord. We look to you, God, for your leading us, God. We look to you for eternal life, God. We look to you, Lord, for our sustenance today. God, we ask that you be with us as we are together, some of us physically, some of us digitally, Lord, but you are everywhere, God, so you are with us. So, Father, we thank you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, if you got your Bible, turn to... Uh, Mark chapter 10. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that this is the uh, story of the rich young ruler. Um, So uh, we'll be at Mark chapter 10 verses 17 all the way uh, through verse 31. Uh, In this particular chapter, uh, Jesus is using several different paradoxes. Jesus teaches in many different ways. And in this particular chapter, this part of the chapter 10, he's using several paradoxes. And if it's been a while since you've been in school, I'll explain what a paradox is. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself, and yet it expresses a valid principle. And we will see several paradoxes. In this section of scripture, in which Jesus is really trying to introduce to us some key principles of the kingdom. So, our big thought for today is simply this that disciples of Jesus value what's next over what's now. All right, so let's look at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So the first thing that we see here, we see a young man, he is approaching Jesus. He falls to his knees. He wants to know what he needs to do to have eternal life, which is a great question to ask. But he asked Jesus one question, but Jesus has two responses. The first thing he asks, the first thing he responds, he says, why do you call me good? In this culture, in this Jewish culture, calling your rabbi good uh, was not a customary thing to do because in their minds, in their culture, calling someone good is attributing the goodness of God to that person. And so Jesus kind of fixes his lens, kind of lets him know that why are you calling me good? Can you call me good with a clean heart and saying that I am God, that I am worthy to be served, worthy to be praised? So he kind of pushes back on the young man. Then he tells him that no one is good except God alone. So he addresses the first part of this. Then he moves on to the second part. He tells him, listen, you know the commandments. You're a good Jewish boy. You shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't give false testimony. You should not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the young man's response is this. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these since I was a boy. He's a good Jewish boy doing his his best to follow God's commands, to live a good and upright moral life, to take care of his family, to take care of his community, trying to do all the things he can to to garner God's favor. And then the verse 21 is very, very important. We look here. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, we're in the South and I've lived in the South for quite a few years now. And this is that bless your heart moment, right? That, that Jesus, I would imagine Jesus kind of looked to him and was just thinking to himself, bless your heart. <laughs> listen, listen, I, I know that, that in, your, in your own eyes, you're, you're doing pretty good. But, but Jesus looked at him and loved him. Why? Because if you love someone, you are willing to have that tough conversation with them. If if you love someone, even when you have to say difficult things to them, um, they'll know that you love them and that you're not saying things to be spiteful or to be ill-willed towards them. And many of us, if our relationship, if, if our view, our perspective of Jesus is off, then when he says difficult things to us, We can take it in the wrong way, but just know that Jesus is looking at you and he loves you. And this is what he says to this young man. One thing you lack, man. I can look at myself right now and think to myself, man, if it it wasn't, I I don't know if I could have just ran up to Jesus and asked him these type of questions because I just think about all the stuff that I lack. But this young man, he tells him, listen, one thing you lack. And he tells him this. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. Here is a paradox. Jesus is telling him Give away your earthly treasure so that you may have heavenly treasure. To Paradox, give away all you have then come follow me. Get rid of every physical thing you have in your life, every material thing you have in your life and come follow me. Now, I want to take a quick pause here. Again, just, just to let you know that this is not a declaration to to all Christians, okay? Let's keep this in context. This is what Jesus is telling this particular young man for a particular reason. And we're going to see that here shortly. Now, will Jesus do that for other people? Absolutely. There have been people in church history in which they have taken a vow of poverty and have decided to rid themselves of all material things, but this is not a blanket statement for all believers at all time. This was specifically for this young man. In verse 22, it says that at this, the man's face fell. he went away sad because he had great wealth. The original Greek in this, where it talks about this man's face falling uh, is is the terminology of of a gloomy storm that something happened on the inside of this man that that caused him to to really fall down to it caused him to change his countenance and Jesus addressed this because, Jesus recognized that this man's wealth was his true God. Notice that this man turned away from Jesus and Jesus did not turn away from him. Why? Because if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, your focus always has to be on what's next over what is now and this young man's focus was focused on this now life, focused on his material wealth, and he walked away because he had great wealth. Now, for many of us when reading this passage, what happens to us is we begin to kind of disassociate from the passage because in our minds, we think to ourselves, man, this guy was rich, man, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I I would serve Jesus, but can I submit to you today um, that you are, you are rich. When you look at America on a global level, Americans are very wealthy. Matter of fact, if you own a car, you have a car, you're richer than 95% of people in the world. If you slept in a bed. Um, If you have indoor plumbing. Right. These are these are signs of wealth globally. So when Jesus goes on to say this next statement, because his disciples looked around uh, in verse 23, they looked at it and said, Jesus says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus was making a statement into which he is now talking to everybody that to enter the kingdom of heaven, is very difficult if riches is your top priority. Now, this is difficult for many of us because many of us don't see ourselves as being wealthy, but truly we are. As a culture, truly we, we do possess wealth. And Jesus wants to show us something here that we all need to understand. And this book that I've been reading by Richard Foster called Money, Power and Sex, uh, he begins to tell us something very true about money. Money is not, uh, money is not impersonal. Uh, money is very, very active. And if we're not careful, we can actively serve money. He says this, money is an active agent. It is a law unto itself, and it is capable of inspiring devotion. So he is saying in this book that money is not something that just lays dormant and we assign value to it. No, money is an active agent, and it is looking for people to serve it. You don't believe me? Think of the ways that so many people will do just about anything for money. That's called reality TV. Can I get an amen? There are things that folks will do that are just outright foolish because of money. What I also like about this particular uh, book from Richard Foster, he talks about money having a dark side and a light side. So he says the dark side of money is this, that it instills fear in us. Uh, If if you're like me and and many other people, you you didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth. Your family had to work very hard for all of the things that you have. And so now you're an adult and maybe you have a family. You're doing your best to make sure that your family has everything that they need. And if we're honest with ourselves, the the foundation of that is, is fear. We don't ever wanna be put in a position to where we don't have what we need. We don't wanna grow up in the poor house, so we'll work 60, 70, 80 hours a week so that we can make sure our family doesn't encounter that. But what happens in that scenario is that that becomes a fear in our life and that drives us instead of putting trust in Jesus. Now the light side of money, comes from when we can actually trust Jesus with everything because we recognize that he is God of all, that all that we have already belongs to him. So John Wesley once said that if somebody told him that his house burned down, that he would say to them, well, that's one less thing that I have to worry about because that house belonged to God. We have to approach this life with open hands and saying, God, everything that I have is yours. This is the very reason why God tells us in the Lord's Prayer uh, to to, to, to thank God for daily bread because he is the one that sustains us, not our job, not our notoriety or our positions. It is God that sustains us. And so we are thankful that he is doing that for us. So what's next? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, now he's not saying disciples. He says this, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Man, now here's the thing. Jesus uses this visceral uh, vision to to describe how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom. He's not saying it's impossible for the rich. He's saying it's difficult. Why? Because you could get a camel through the eye of a needle. We're not talking about uh, 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 something. You know, in, in some circles they believe the eye of the needle is a is a small tone that camels can barely fit through. No, Jesus is talking about a sewing needle, that tiny sewing needle. You could get a camel. You could take each and every bit of hair and put it through there and grind up his bones and put it. I know this is getting nasty. Take its blood and put it through there. You could get it. The camel won't be alive, but you could get a cam, camel through the eye of the needle. But he is saying this is how difficult it is for someone whose heart Is set on wealth and riches to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because disciples of Jesus are focused on what's next, eternal life, over what's now. The disciples, in verse 26, were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? Who possibly Jesus? You have just told us that if if you got money, you got anything, it's going to be hard for us to go into the kingdom. And why would the disciples say something like this? They they would say this, uh, and 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 this is prevalent today. The disciples said this. Because it was prevalent in their culture then as it is now that people believe that wealth and riches is a sign of God's favor and blessing on their lives. It sounds good and we want it to be good, but that's terrible theology. We are not promised riches in this Bible. We are not promised riches at all. And so what we need to do is we need to have a biblical understanding of what it means to be a disciple, that we are focused on the eternal and not the temporal. So today, just like years ago, Jesus is addressing anybody who was thinking that because they have great wealth, automatically they're in good favor with God. That's simply not true. And this is why Jesus looked at them and said this in verse 27. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's impossible for us to route out this tendency to want to have stuff. Is God condemning people who are rich? No. No. We need doctors, we need lawyers, we need chiropractors, we need professional people, we need politicians to influence uh, for the kingdom of God. Those things we need, but we have to approach it in a way that's honoring to God, that they understand that it is just a means to be able to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a means in that his message can reach those who are both wealthy and those who are both poor. And so Jesus tells us that it is impossible for us to combat this natural leaning, to want to acquire more things, to have an important name, to chase after the things of this world. We cannot defeat that ourselves. It's only the message of the gospel that can take our hearts and make it moldable so that God can do his work on the inside of us. And that's a great place to say amen. We need the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, pointing to us areas in which we are elevating over God. Just the other day I was online, and I know none of you do as much online shopping as, as, as I do. I know that I'm the only one that has multiple Amazon packages coming. I know I'm not the only one that knows the Amazon driver by name. Be like, what's up, man? How you doing, Paul? Good. You got two packages for me? I know I'm not the only one. But I had ordered something. And I thought I really wanted it. And it came to me in the mail, and it's something that uh, that I have multiples of. And when I got it, I was like, "Man, it didn't move me anymore." Just the idea of wanting it got me to purchase it, but then when I received it, Meh. I wasn't I wasn't really moved moved at all. And What's important for us to realize is this, that we have bought into a lie that things can make us happy. In David Meyer's book, The Pursuit of Happiness, he says this, "Uh, between 1957 and 1990, the per capita income of Americans doubled in real money. Yet the number of Americans who reported being very happy remained unchanged at one third. Scientifically, more stuff does not make us happy. We may think it will, but it doesn't address our deep need for our savior to fill us on the inside. So with God, it's possible, but with man, it's impossible. Then we have Peter. Now we all know that Peter is usually gonna be the most outspoken of the group. We all have friends like this that are gonna say what we're thinking. And so we're so glad they're with us because they can be the one to address it and not us. Peter says this, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. And they did sell their business and other uh, apostles did the same. And Jesus reassures them this, truly, I tell you, this is an ancient way of saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you, man, this you can take this to the bank. No one who has left home, brothers, sister, mother, father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says to them, listen, what you are giving up, you're going to receive so much more. So if you gave up family members, guess what? You are going to be connected to the family of God. God, you're going to have sisters and mothers and brothers that you can lean on in the family of God. Higher definition, you may have lost some family, but you come into the family of God and now you have more family homes. Guess what? Now, instead of you just worrying about your one home, you have homes of believers, other sisters and brothers that are there in the faith. And then when you look at fields and those are opportunities, many more opportunities because you are connected to the body of God. And Mark goes on and put this in here because we cannot forget that in this life we are going to have trouble from time to time, that there will be persecutions, but this is not a sign of God, uh, of us falling out of God's favor. It's just a sign of being connected to Jesus. We're going to have trouble, but he overcomes the world. And this is where Jesus inserts his last paradox. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last be first. In this life and in our culture, we are constantly bombarded with trying to be number one. America's 40 under 40. We have sales numbers that we're trying to break and vying for that next position or maybe uh, hitting certain savings goals and investing goals. We are constantly bombarded with messages that tell us we need more. But when you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not focused on how to make your life comfortable here and now. You're thinking about what your life is going to be like in eternity. And so Jesus says, just in case my message for you wasn't clear before and you had trouble following what was happening between me and this rich young God, I just want to let you know that if your life right now is about you being number one, that means you're going to be the least of the king in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be number one, temporary, that's fine. I would rather for you to focus on trying to be number one for all eternity. We must be careful. All the things that are happening in our lives to dethrone this idea that money solves all problems. We have to allow God's spirit to indwell in us, to point to those things that we hold over following Jesus, to being a true disciple of Jesus. And we cannot be uh, so ignorant of the ways that the enemy tries to convince us that this is a problem for somebody else and not for us. Jesus is telling us very plainly, that if you want to follow him, you gotta trust him with everything. That. that you have to depend on his provision and not your own strength. To be a disciple of Jesus truly means to be focused more on what is to come and not your life right now. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word that you've given us today, God. Revealing to us that there are things that we need to get rid of in our heart, God. Things that are keeping us from serving you. Things that are keeping us from following you. And God, we pray that you would touch our hearts and and reveal to us areas in which mammon and wealth is trying to take over our lives, God. We ask that you remove that and that you would become number one in our lives. God, I ask everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and so that they would be able to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.